0: You are listening to Faith Church's sermon from this week. We are a church that is committed to loving Jesus for life and loving others to life. We hope that this message encourages you to follow Jesus with your whole heart.
1: We're concluding the Lord's Prayer series, and it's, it's also Palm Sunday, so we're going to see how that eventually fits together. I promise you it will. Um, and how the two um, really do uniquely come together. In Matthew 6:19 in the NIV it says the following words this will be on the screen This then is how you should pray Our Father in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us today our daily bread forgive us our debts we also and as we also for, have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one now it stops just stops but when we prayed it this morning, did we not pray for thine is the power, the kingdom, the glory? And maybe I got those mixed up a little bit. So in the NIV, there's this footnote. You can slide that up there, Austin. Um, I think, yeah, there we go. Um, and so this footnote says, for yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. So what's up with this footnote business? Um, A lot of people ask me that question. There's other places that we're going to discuss in just a second here. But I kind of wanted to deal with it before we get into the meat of this message. Because I think it's misunderstood. It says, I say here, Pastor, it says here that most early manuscripts don't have this phrase. What's with that? Did Jesus not instruct us to pray these words? No, what it's called is textual criticism. That will also be on the screen. Let me explain briefly because some have made a huge deal out of something that is not correct. You'll see the chart on the screen of the explanation of what it, what it looks like for textual criticism. Quickly, the Bible was once a big letter Remember that when we, when we um, first received the Bible in Greek and Hebrew, it was not broken into chapters. You didn't get this. This didn't drop out of the sky already having verses. That was put in there by um, Americans who need to know uh, where they're at in the story. This was just one big story from start creation to finish revelation. That's all it was. And so in textual criticism, what they do is they, they, they begin to look at things in the manuscript. No chapter divides, verses, any titles. They are not in the original manuscripts. And so that happened when translation happened. This is about honesty and integrity of textual apparatus. Now let me explain that. There's a lot of big words that are used in all of this. It's not people fooling around with the word or trying to make something out of nothing. I want to be abundantly clear with that, because I've heard people make fuss, King James only, NIV only. The NIV's going to trash because they cut out this, they cut out that. This is not about that in any way, shape, or form. Please don't, please don't engage those fights. It's, it's called ridiculousness, is what it's called. It's not a King James versus NIV thing. It's not an attempt to deceive like many believe. It's about what was available to those who were doing the textual criticism. Remember, our scriptures were not automatically written like you have them today. Someone needed to translate them. And there's a lot that goes into that so that scripture holds to its inerrancy and that there aren't tampering with verses. It's the exact opposite of what you see on Facebook. Oh, the NIV authors got rid of this. Yeah, they got rid of that because they have more textual apparatus than the King James people did when they translated in whatever, 1600. It wasn't because they're getting rid of Truth. And so many times we make it about that. And so there's another example in Scripture in John chapter 8. If you, if you have your Bible, you can turn there very quickly. We're not going to spend any time there. But you'll see right there written there, some manuscripts do not have this story in them. It's the story of the adulterous woman. Did it ever happen? Friends, if that's the question you're asking, that's not a necessary conclusion. The event certainly happened. It rings true as something that Jesus would do. It was probably taken out because some thought it was a little too scandalous. And if you think, well, where are you coming up with this, Pastor? I'm coming up with this by people who have actually done the studies. They're listed for you on the back of your sermon outline, by the way, the green sheet in the bulletin. I put all of my work cited there so that you knew this wasn't Pastor Brett taking things out of context. This was me studying. This was me reading for hours on end to try to understand this so I could explain it to you this morning. And now I lost my spot. (laughs) It's not people fooling with the word. Oh, John chapter 8. Here we go. The event certainly happened. It rings true of what Jesus was doing or would have done. It was probably taken out again because it was scandalous. Well, what about the line in the Lord's Prayer? Let's go back to that. And you can put it, you can put it up there, then, Austin. Um, I think it's the next slide. There we go. What about that line? Why isn't that in the NIV? We know that the earlier Christians prayed this line. How do we know that? Because it's recorded in, in, in extra-biblical material. In other words, when you read the church fathers, they actually pray this line. you can find that the material in any Christian library will clearly state that they prayed this last line. Now, why spend time on this? Because I think there's too many people walking around saying things about the NIV and about the King James and about NASV and all these other translations that just simply are not true, period. They aren't. The phrase is not a late creation. Why then do some manuscripts not have this line in? Well, scholars believe it's because the line itself is a form of Christian indexing. And they they say to expand the line given praying the scriptures. Sometimes what rabbis would do, and I'm, I'm trying not to confuse the situation here, but what they would do is they would leave the ending line off of the prayer. And so if I'm teaching Pastor Landon, because that's part of my responsibility as, his, as being pastor or intern, what I would do is I would write the prayer, if I was a rabbi back in that day, and, and I would ask him, I would tell him, you end it any way you want to. You do it. I'm not writing the ending. And so what Jesus does is he literally does this exact same thing as rabbis of the day do. He says, Here's the prayer. End it. And so that's why it's not found in some manuscripts because Jesus didn't end it, because he was a good rabbi, because he was letting people experience ending a prayer. So where did they come up with this ending? Well, some believe they came up with it in First Chronicles twenty-nine, verse ten through thirteen. It's on the screen. Praise to you, O Lord, God of our father from Israel. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and on uh, for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now God, our God. We give you thanks and praise your glorious names. Or Psalm 145, verse 13. Here's what it says. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures through all generations. So these verses show us that the last line may have come from other scripture passages that rabbis would have used to close the Lord's prayer. Period. So it's not about people trying to hide things. Now there are some of those things going on there is some scriptures that are coming out that are getting rid of sexes out of the scripture. It's now him and her instead of him. That is an issue. That needs not be preached. That is not a manuscript issue. That is called someone is trying to push the buttons. That will not be coming to faith church anytime in my pastorate, it's not right. Period. And so that is not a manuscript issue, that is someone trying to change the truth of the Word of God to fit their opinion. So today, I want to focus on that last word. Now that I thoroughly confused you, we'll get to what we really need to get to. At the end of the prayer, it's a word that you and I use to end our prayers. Some say it during the service as a way of giving encouragement and saying, I agree. But amen means a whole lot more than that. And the more we look at this little word, the more we see how important it really is. The word amen is found 78 times in the English Bibles. The first time we see it is in the Old Testament book of Numbers. And the last time we see it, check this out. Revelation chapter 22, verse 21. It's the last word in your Bible. Amen. Wow. It's God's last word on his word. And it means surely, truly, firmly, so it is, so be, with, so be it, and may it be fulfilled. The Apostle Paul in second Corinthians chapter one, verse 20, says it this way it's a, uh, verse 21, excuse me or verse 20 it's not 21 as your sermon outline says, that was a mistake of mine it's also a corinthians' Uh, 2 Corinthians not 1 Corinthians another mistake of mine and I have written here in my notes highlighted to tell you let's just say it was a long week in the office All right, so that is the only mistakes that I made all week yeah right if you were here yesterday you know better than that for no matter how many promises God has made they are yes in Christ and so through him amen is spoken by us to the glory of God So here's what Paul's saying to the Corinthian church. Listen, all of God's promises find their yes and amen in Christ himself, including the promises made to Israel. There are some of them that will be on the screen. The promise to Abraham that by his seed all nations of the earth will gain blessing, Genesis 22 Verse 18, the promise to David, raise up David's offspring and to establish his throne forever in 2 Samuel chapter 7. And the best news of all, the best news of all, is is that Christ, in Christ, we not only see all God's promises coming to fruition, but we see his biggest promise. His biggest yes and amen to everyone who sits in this room or hears this on, online or isn't even here today. He provides a relationship with Jesus Christ for anyone who will call upon his name. He says, you want to come into relation with the creator of the world? Yes and amen. But I've done this. Yes and amen. And I have a whole bunch of passages listed there for you on the outline that tell us that. One commentator puts it this way. Christ is yes and amen to all meaningful human hopes. That's the desire of my heart this morning is is that when we look at Palm Sunday, they were kind of disappointed that first Palm Sunday after they figured out that he wasn't coming to overthrow the government and be this political power, but he was coming to start a new community. That instead of saying, take the spear and put it in the heart of the enemy, he said, love one another and change your world while you're doing it. Wow. You want a real life? Your yes is in Christ Jesus. You want godly wisdom? Your yes is in Christ Jesus. You want to be set apart. You want to be sanctified. You want to grow in a relationship with Jesus Christ. You want to do his kingdom work. Your yes and amen is in Christ Jesus. Not his church. Not your pastor. Not the praise team. Not the faith church leadership commission. Your yes and amen is in Christ the Lord. Period. You want those things? You got them. Yes and amen. R.H. Strachan comments in his commentary there is no hope for any civilization apart from acceptance of the person and obedience to the teachings of Jesus Christ. I want you to sit back in your pews right now, not too comfortable. (laughs) I don't want any snoring. I want you to think about the United States of America when I read this quote. There is no hope for any civilization apart from the acceptance of the person and obedience to the teachings of Jesus Christ. Yet we try to find it in everything else. Want to know why the world's turning out of Because we've turned our back on R.H. Strachan's comment. Flat out. And no, this is not about somebody sitting in a White House right now. This is about the church. Some of us sitting in this room, standing in this room have tried to put our hope in other things and growth and this and this and that the other thing and this and that and the other thing and this and that and the other thing and we continually fail and we can't understand why we do because there's no hope in any civilization outside of the fact that you put your personal faith in Jesus Christ and that you grow from his teachings period no hope So today I want to look at this meaning for all of us behind the word amen, how Christ is at amen in our lives. There are three powerful words that I see inside this little word with an amen powerful punch. Here's, here's the first word, yes. Yes. The word amen is the believer's exclamation. That's the way it is in response to what God has spoken. Excuse me. Listen to this. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him the amen is spoken to us by the glory of God. The yes is in him. Our yes in response to that is through him. You do understand that there was nothing special about yourself that brought you to Christ. It was because he first loved you. See, I think a lot of us walk around sometimes believing that somehow we were drawn, that we drew ourselves to Christ in the sense that, 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 that you know, we were just that special. That Christ sat up and took notice when we were we coming to the room. The point isn't that, that, that we had anything about us. The point is, is, is that he went to this cross with only love in his heart. And he started seeking you. And some of you found him very early on in life and you grew in that relationship with him. Some of you have found him later in life and you grew in that relationship with him. But the point isn't that you found him necessarily. The point is is, is that he found you and continued to pursue you until you said yes through him. not, yes, salvation is found in Christ on Sunday, April 10th, 2022, and somehow tomorrow morning when we wake up all grumpy because it's Monday morning, April the 11th, salvation is found in everyone and anything else than Christ. Let me put it to you this way. I I grew up in in an era that I don't remember Certain situations in history, but I do remember very clearly being a youth pastor at a larger church on nine one one, and I remember our sanctuary being packed from front to back. Four weeks. About mid-October, it started to taper off. Why? There's something about tragedy that brings people to a realization that there's something bigger in this world. And then the tragedy wears off and it wears off. And so could I say it like this, that in September the 11th there was salvation in Jesus Christ, there was salvation in God. By October the 11th it was in everything else. Better build those retirement funds. Better get the best car. Better do this, better do that. Forgetting who paid the ultimate price for all of those things. It's exactly what Christ meant when he said this answer to Thomas's questioning. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. What we don't understand is is that this is right before he goes to John 15. And in John 15, he makes it very clear about something. And he says, listen, you are the vine, or I am the vine, and you are the branches. And so what he's relating this comment to, we don't, we don't do it real well in America because, honestly, I, I didn't do this until I did some study this past week. I, I, I see it now, but what we, what we, we don't connect the two together, but they're very connected. What Jesus is doing is he's setting up a teaching here, and he's saying, hey, Peter, hey, Matthew, hey, John, you all think you're all that. You ain't nothing unless you connect to the vine." You can't teach on your own power there, John. You can try, but it'll fail miserably. Hey, Matthew, you better stay connected to the vine because I'm the only way, the only truth, the only life. It's powerful. Branches cannot forget the vine because they're fully dependent on him. He's your yes. He's your only yes. Your yes is not in, one, in your 401K or your 403B. Your yes is not in the car you drive. Your yes is not in the status you hold. It is not in the, 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 the job you hold. Your yes is only in Christ. You can see all the promises that are yes and amen in Jesus, and that's why I printed off the nine-page document that's in your bulletin that makes it a booklet. I didn't want to just say to you, there's a lot of prophecy that has been fulfilled, and let you figure out where those prophecies were. They're all listed there for you, nine pages of them. Hundreds of years in between them, when they were told that they were going to happen, and then when they became fulfilled. And that's not even dealing with the end time stuff yet. Nine pages of yes and amens. More on that later. The next word I see is faith. The word amen is the believer's affirmation that what God has spoken is absolutely true and reliable and mary said these words behold i am the servant of the lord let it be so to me according to your word and the angel departed from her you know the story and mary has just been told can you imagine she's i don't know 16 somewhere around in that ballpark and she's just been told not only is she pregnant and she hasn't had relations Not only is she pregnant and hasn't had those, but now she's pregnant with the Son of God. And it's not someone who who has just come and told him about it, told them about it. No, an angel visits her. And she hears about this plan of God and she doesn't understand what's going on. But do you hear her response? This is faith, friends. This isn't isn't half-hearted faith. This isn't the faith that sometimes I put forward. No, this is real faith. When you are told that you are pregnant, and you are not only pregnant, but you are pregnant with with the Son of God, and you have yet to have relations in any way, shape, or form, and you don't understand any of it, and yet she says these words, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. So, in other words, what she's saying is this to the angel Amen. I have faith that what you're telling me is true, and I will put all my eggs in your basket. Amen. The Apostle Paul says it this way, now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. What is it that makes you stand firm together? It's faith. Faith is an affirmation that God has spoken absolute truth and is reliable. Paul says it best in verse 24 of those scriptures that Pastor Landon read earlier. Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy. Because what? It is by faith you stand firm. Want to know why you're being shifted with waves and you don't know if you're coming or going and you don't know if you want to dive in or you'd want to be out? Check your faith. Check your faith. Do you look at God's word like Mary does and understand that when God's word speaks to something about our relationship with Jesus Christ, like for instance in the book of Romans where it says all things will come together, will work together for those who what? Who love Jesus Christ, who follow his commandments. All of those things, do you look at those and say, yes and amen? Or do you say, yeah, that's good for the other guy. That's good for Pastor Brett, Pastor Landon, but I'm just an ordinary person. It's not good for me. You want to bet? See, that's where I see some struggles sometimes because I see people struggling in this, this area of their lives and they, because they, they don't believe that the Scriptures are written for them as if they are the only ones that pick them up. They, they, they don't see it that way. They see it as, oh, I'm somehow a second-class citizen when it comes to Christ. And, and you know who's feeding them that. The ultimate liar. Uh, you know. And it's it's damaging to their faith. It's what it means in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, when it says all scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuke, and correcting, and training in righteousness. Now listen. <laughs> Now, listen, and I want to be very clear on this. You have the right to not like being corrected or rebuked. You have that right. No one likes it. I don't, I don't remember ever in my childhood when my dad's disciplining me because my dad usually handled that option. I don't remember ever looking at him and going, Dad, can you continue? Can you keep on you know, telling me how wrong I was? Because I really want to hear about it. Can you keep on correcting me? Because it makes me feel really bad when you correct me. And I just like that feeling. So just keep on coming, Dad. But you see, you don't have to like it. It doesn't change one bit the power of this word. My opinion about what it says doesn't change it one bit. My liking it or not liking it doesn't change it one bit. Our late brother Bill Bowman used to say to me after several sermons, He'd say, listen, Pastor, he'd come out the door, and he'd he'd look at me before he shook his hand, and he'd go, you know, I bought new shoes this week. And I said, "Uh, yeah, okay. And he'd say, now why'd you go stomping all over the tops of them during the sermon? See, sometimes I take heat for what the Lord is doing, and honestly, at the end of the day, it's got to be okay with me because his word is absolutely true and reliable, and I cannot bend from it one bit. And there are people that don't like it. Bill may have been joking. I know he was. I won't bend from it. Some would like you to twist it, make it feel a little bit better. But I can only imagine asking my father, could you not discipline me so hard? Dad, when I ride my bike in traffic on the busiest street in Dover, PA, could you not tell me not to? Dad, when you tell me not to lie, could you not tell me not to? Dad, when you tell me not to do this, could you not tell me not to? It's true and reliable, and it's powerful. And the last word we see in amen is rest. It's the most powerful word there. The word amen is the believer's settled commitment to let God be God in response to our prayer petitions. We've talked about a lot of them. Pastor Landon and I have covered every one of them. He anointed us, it says in Second Corinthians chapter 2, or 1 verse 21. He anointed us. He set his seal of ownership on us, put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. The sealing is God's placement of his seal, meaning we are his possession, not the possession of this world's princes and principalities, but the possession of Jesus Christ himself, which is where we find our redemption in things to come. There's nothing good in any of us there's just not that will help us to stand before the ultimate judge someday but instead it's the only by the shed blood of Jesus that we even have a chance the sealing here the, the the talk about sealing here is an ancient illustration letters were sealed and how they sealed them was they took their rings and they had a little thing on their rings and they would they would seal the the letter so that they knew If anyone tampered with it. So it is with the sealing of the Holy Spirit on you. You can rest in the fact that God is God. And because of that, he has your protection and good at the center of his heart. Even when it feels like he doesn't. So as we plead for our daily bread as we plead to forgive others like Christ forgave us, as we plead to lead us not into temptation, as we plead all of these things and so much more, here's what Christ is saying at the end of this message. He's saying you can rest in the fact that as you plead for those things, it's yes and amen. It's yes and amen. John Piper puts it this way, Christ is the yes and amen of God's redemptive plan for humankind. That's you and me. He has come through on everything he has promised. But notice what needs to happen. And we talk about this all the time, and I think it goes in one here and out the other sometimes. But I want it to sink into your heart this morning. There is a need to be a part of the family of God in order to experience this sealing. I never want to assume that everybody listening in is hearing, is, 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 has understood this. In other words, it's not just for anybody. You got to know him as your personal savior. You got to respond to him. Yes, he died on a cross. Yes, next week we celebrate the fact that he raised himself out of the grave and he did so and defeated sin and death and all of those things. That is very true. All of that has happened, but it wasn't a, 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 a continual salvation for the entire world because it did happen. And that, my friends, is what we have been running into as a teaching. How many times have I heard as a pastor, to, you know, I, I've done funerals of people who are far from Christ and, 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 and not, not here necessarily. I got a phone call from funeral homes and I had to go do it. And I hear people say things like, they're in a better place. Why? Because they were good people. So they never responded to the way, the truth, and the life. No, but they're good people. Good people are going to go places that are not eternity with Jesus. It's about a relationship with Him. so what Jesus did on that day, when he died for you and me, this worked a lot better when I practiced it. exactly that he said to everybody in the entire world this is my amen God the Father looked down on him on that day and he said amen amen Because of this, we can put this amen across this cross on this stage because it's the most powerful yes and amen to all of us. But you got to believe it. The ceiling is dependent upon your receiving of this gift. That's why Paul says it all stands on faith, not faith in your ability, not faith in someone else's ability, but faith in Jesus Christ alone. What is faith? Faith is something that we believe in that we can't see all the evidence. Have you ever gone to heaven with somebody? Yet many of you know people who have gone to heaven. Why do you believe that they're in heaven? Because you have faith. You can't, without a shadow of a doubt, say they're there. You have faith. Because you believe in the amen. And because of that, we can stand firm, even when the world falls apart around us what the apostle paul is saying and not only that but i mean just think about the day we are celebrating today in Zechariah 9 9 it tells of this day and it was written in 520 to 518 bc the gospel of john chapter 12 tells of it happening and was written sometime close to 100 a.d that means it was prophesied around 620 years before it happened And it happened. I, I mean, I don't understand how you don't believe that. So you're telling me that a prophet, 620 years, came up with some story about a guy coming into town with a donkey, and it just happens to come true 620 years later, and it's all falsehoods. You can consider it yes and amen for what he did because he's never, never, never told us he was going to do something and hasn't come through for it. Peter Stoner, a mathematics guru, put it this way. I want you to try to visualize this for just one minute. If you mark one of ten tickets and place all those tickets in one hat and thoroughly stir them and ask a blindfolded man to draw one, his chance of getting the right ticket is one in ten. Suppose that we take 1,017 silver dollars, lay them across the entire state of Texas. They will cover the entire state two feet deep. How? Now, here's what you're going to do. You're going to mark one of those silver dollars and stir the whole mass thoroughly all over the state. Then you're going to blindfold a man and tell him that he can travel as far as he wishes but he must pick up the one silver dollar and say that this is the right one. What chance would he have of getting the right one? Well, I'll tell you what chance he would have. The same as the prophets would have had, writing these prophecies and having them all come true in one way or another, and you have nine pages of them. Tell me again how he isn't faithful. Why do we lose hope? Why do we act like this, the, the, sick, this, the, the ship is sinking? Two feet deep, the entire state of Texas, and there's the same chance of him getting that X blindfolded. As Zechariah writing about this prophecy in Palm Sunday, or Isaiah writing about Jesus dying, all of those are true. And so it is the yes and amen. And so I conclude with this. I want you to think, and there's a little sheet in your bulletin. Where do you need him to be? Your yes and amen, because I think there are some here today that need him to be there. Yes and amen. And they're not so sure, and that's okay. We're going to look at it next week. Um, Do you know that the people who followed him the closest, you know what they expected on Easter Sunday? They didn't expect a risen Savior. They expected a dead one. So if you're sitting here today saying, I'm not so sure about this, Pastor. You're in good company. You're with Peter. You're with Mary who went to the tomb early. You can read the scriptures later. I'll bring them to you next week. But you'll see where Mary basically says, Someone stole the body. Well, what is she saying there? She's saying, The guy's dead. There's no way he could have walked out of this grave. He's dead. And yet she walked with him? So don't beat yourself up. It's a powerful story. Where do you need to affirm that God has spoken is absolutely true and reliable? What do you need to rest on and to let God be God in response to your prayer petitions? What do you need to do that at? I want you to think about that as in just a minute Pastor Land is going to come and play a song. And, and if you have something that you want to give to Christ today you can, you can put it on the cross and, and do that. I, I, you know I I have one that that I want to share with you this morning, and it and it's it's it's. I, I've been desiring for someone to come to know Jesus Christ for a long time here at Faith Church. And sometimes I feel like I preach my heart out, and there's no fruit. And so yesterday, I'm 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 standing downstairs and. This gentleman comes up to me and he taps me on the shoulder. He says, "Hey, uh, Pastor, can I can I tell you something about myself?" And I was like, "Yeah, sure." So, and I never know how those conversations are going to go, but he he said to me, "I don't believe at all." This is his words. I I don't I don't believe at all. I don't believe in anything you were preaching today. I don't believe in Jesus Christ. I believe that the world just needs love, and that's it. But the story didn't stop there. He said, as you're preaching, tears are running down my eyes. He said, Pastor, I don't believe in your God, but something was tapping my shoulder while you were preaching. wasn't something, it was someone. And I told that gentleman that. And so here I am debating whether I even am making an impact. And in one foul conversation, or one quick conversation, not foul, one quick conversation, he showed me that he truthfully is a gay man. truthfully is here's a guy who has heard me preach three times in three different deaths of his relatives you know what he went on to tell me he told me every time it's like something's tapping me now will he come to know christ i don't know But I'm going to tell you what it did. It lit a fire in your pastor to say, I ain't stopping. Because if he's faithful, why shouldn't I be? And some of you need to step up to the same plate. And say, I ain't stopping. Because if he's been faithful, why shouldn't I be? Pastor Landon, would you come and lead us in yes and amen? And as you do, they will powerfully consider where they need to respond.
0: Father of kindness, you have poured out grace You brought me out of darkness, you have filled me with peace Give her mercy, you're my help in time of need Lord, I can't help but sing Faithful you are, faithful forever you will be, faithful you are, and all your promises are yes and amen. And all your promises are yes and amen Beautiful Savior, you have brought me near You pulled me out from ashes, you have broken every curse Blessed Redeemer, you have set this captive free Lord, I can't help but sing, faithful you are, faithful forever you will be, faithful you are. And all your promises are yes and amen. And all your promises are yes and amen. Faithful you are. Faithful forever you will be. Faithful you are and all your promises are yes and amen I will rest in your promises my confidence is your faithfulness I will rest in your promises my confidence Faithful you are, faithful forever you will be, faithful you are, and all your promises are yes and amen. And all your promises are yes and amen. And all your promises are yes and amen.
1: Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that all of your promises are yes and amen. Lord, you have been so faithful. Um, and sometimes we miss it. Like Israel of old, you were faithful in so many ways, and they yet, they screamed at you that you didn't give them good enough food. What's this manna stuff? And we do the same thing in our nation, Lord. You've been so faithful. And yet, at the first turn of wrong, we're asking where you are. Lord help us to see the Amen help us to focus on what you have done help us to go into this Holy Week understanding that the promises you have made are yes and amen and help us to grasp the power of this week in all of our activities Lord may it not be about the activity May be about your spirit working in people's hearts and lives. Help us to do that this week. For Lord, it's in your name we pray this all. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope it encouraged you in your walk with Christ. You can
0: find out more about Faith Church at wearefaithec.com.